Welcome to the Black Girl Blogger Podcast, where you will hear amazing human interest stories from everyday people. They will inspire you, they will encourage you, and they will help you to overcome all of what you are going through in your life. I am your host, Aisha Morgan, and let's meet today's guest. On today's episode, we'll be talking about being a surrogate. This is one woman's experience being a surrogate for someone else. It may not be the experience that you had or someone you know had as a surrogate. However, I do think the information that will be provided will be helpful for someone interested in becoming a surrogate and for those who may want to ask someone to be a surrogate for them. So let's meet our guest. All right, so let's welcome our guest today. This is Rashimia Woodley. Shima and I know each other from childhood. We have been friends forever. Her uncle is married to my aunt, and we are going to get into this amazing conversation about being a surrogate. So welcome, Shima. Why don't you tell us a little bit about hi, yourself? Hi, my name is Rashima Woodley. Um... I'm from New Jersey. I've known Isha, seems like, all my life. Um, I'm a single mom raising three teenagers. I'm recently engaged, so I will be getting married next year. And I'm going to explain about being a surrogate. All right, so why don't you tell us how this all came about and who were you a surrogate for? Okay, so I was a surrogate for my little sister, um, she, well, we were younger. She was like diagnosed with something that she didn't think she would ever be able to carry kids mm-hmm. or, you know, have them. So, um, then after I had my first child, I said, I would, my second child, I'm sorry. I said, I would, you know, never get my tooth tied or anything. First of all, I was scared. She didn't know that, but I said, I wouldn't get my tooth tied, but I would carry a baby for her if it came down to that. Um, and so she got pregnant and she had a baby. And then I was like, okay, I'm in the clear. Then she lost the baby two years later. And then I knew it was time that I was going to have to carry this baby. Okay. So what t- walk us through the conversation that the two of you had to even come to this conclusion of when it happened. So after she lost the baby, she was really devastated. And I was just like, sister, you know, I told you I would always carry a baby for you. So I'll carry a baby for you. And she was like, are you serious? Yes, I'm serious. I told you I would do it. Let's do it before I get too old. And I'll be 40 soon. So I want to get this done before I'm 40. And that's where the conversation started. And we started the process. Wow. Just that simple, huh? (laughs) It really was that simple, which is crazy because people are like, wait, what? You guys didn't really discuss it? No, because I told her this probably 10 years prior that I would carry a baby for her, maybe longer because my son was 16 at the time. So I had told her this um, about 15 years prior that I would carry a baby for her. And that's what I was going to do. I still didn't have my tubes tied. I knew I could still get pregnant because I had a 10-year-old then. So I said, let's do it. Let's do it before I get 40. And that was my cutoff. And so she had a little bit of time to make it happen because I was 38 when I delivered. Okay. So 
how did the process start? Like, walk us through what did you have to do? Did you guys have to go to counseling? Um, how were your doctor's appointments? Were you having to take medication? What exactly were the, the initial steps to getting this started? Oh, sheesh. Okay. So, um, you start with the parents go to a fertility um, counselor and they have to do all of their genetic testing and, you know, all of their testing, talk to someone, they have to go to counseling and make sure that this is something they want to do. After they finish all their counseling, then I went to counseling. So I went, it was really simple. I mean, they make it seem like it's a drawn out process, but it was literally, I think, two phone calls. Okay. And um, she said, okay, you're fine. So we, you know, proceeded with the pro- the process. We had to get contract signed saying that legally these were not my, my, this wouldn't be my baby. And I would, you know, after birth, hand them these babies and whatever compensation, you know, all that's in your contract. There wasn't any compensation because, of course, that's my sister. So um, that's kind of how that went. What were some of the questions that they asked you in counseling? So in counseling, you go over, like, your mental stability, your job, your family, how your kids feel about it. Um how you would feel if like if you had kids or didn't have kids if you want more kids it's all that type of thing so they're really asking like what is your how's your mentality with having a baby have you ever gone through postpartum do you think you'll be able to you know separate from the baby after and it for me all of that was easy because I was done having kids um And I was ready to just live life. So I would just be, you know, putting nine to 12 months on hold to do this for my sister, which I knew she really wanted a baby. So that made everything easy for me to say, sure, no, I don't want these kids. Have them. As soon as they're out, take them. I'm done. I'm going to live my best life. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) What did the conversation sound like when you told your kids that you were going to do this? My kids supported me. They really supported me. I was surprised, but all of them were, they were supportive. Good. They were really supportive. I didn't expect that from them, but they don't want me to have any more kids because they're spoiled. (laughs) So they don't want another person around here wanting my attention. That makes sense. And then how about your job? Like, did you have to tell them that you were going to be a surrogate or was it more of just telling them that you were going to be on maternity leave? Like, was there any obligation for you to tell them that these weren't going to be your babies? How did that go? Um, I've been in my job for a really long time. I'm in the nursing field. So I just kind of told them and my job supported it. They were really like surprised and they were excited and they were interested in the process. And it was a simple conversation. Hey, I'm carrying some, I'm going to carry a baby for my sister. We're starting the process and I'll let you know, as you know, we go through. As with when I had my other, my 11, 10 year old, I, you know, carried her till the end. I had, they had to kick me out of work. So they knew <laughs> that, you know, I was going to be there until I had to push the babies out and I would probably try to come right back to work. Got it. Okay. And so once you guys went to counseling and ev- both of you went to counseling and everything was finished, what was the next steps that you went through? So after counseling, then you start your process. So 
mom has to go through a process of they have to get her eggs first. Okay. So so they were essentially mixing her eggs with her husband's sperm to make the baby, and I was just a carrier. So nothing of it is genetically mine. I'm just a shell for the babies. So they had, to, so she had to go through a process of getting her body together to produce eggs. So it's injections, pills, and, um, you know, daily, I think it was like twice a week doctor's visit so that her body would produce the eggs. And then once the eggs and they extract the eggs from her, her husband went in, he did what he did, I guess, in that room. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> and they mix them and they freeze them. So the, they're in a freezing process and through the freezing process they may so I think they took like 20 something eggs from her her they froze them and I believe it was like 10 viable okay I want to say so she still had eggs after the fact um because we were not inserting all 10 into me that wasn't happening right um but she still had eggs after the freezing process and the Defreezing process, there was still egg viable. So I don't know if she ever kept I think she kept them. Okay. And so once all of that happened with her, what were your next steps? Okay, so once they get the eggs and they're frozen and they see, you know, like these ones are good and, you know, you have the option to say, I want you to tell me if there's boys or girls. Oh, okay. But that's like an extra cost. Got so, it. Okay. Also, another thing, like, with insurance in New Jersey, it depends. Like, surrogacy is covered under most insurance plans. However, where my sister works at, her insurance is considered, like, a private plan. So, everything she had to pay for and then, like, mail her receipts and see if they were reimbursed for the medications. But they didn't cover, like, the procedures. Okay. So, we have to, so that was, like, you know, something that we had to deal with because she had to pay or a lot of it. Right, okay. Um, but after they, so after all of that and the eggs are frozen and she doesn't find out what the sex is, then I start my my body cycle. So I have to go to the doctor. I have to track my period. Um, I'm doing injections and pills. First, there's injections in your stomach that you do every day and you take pills every day. And you go to the doctors twice a week. Then... Um, once your body is ready, so the first time my body didn't get ready automatic, like my cervix didn't get thick enough, I believe. Mm-hmm. Something happened and my body wasn't ready the first time when they wanted me to insert the egg. So we had, I had to do it again. So I had to wait a whole nother month. So it was a whole nother month of doing injections, taking these pills, and you're injecting yourself in your stomach. So you have to mentally be prepared for that because that's like hard. Yeah. To every day say, okay. I have to give myself this injection in my belly. You have to be on time and you have to do it right. Because if not, you are messing up somebody's money. Right. You know, so, and you can't skip because this is what you need. You need your body to be ready so that they can put these eggs in. So the second go round, everything was fine. Um, And so then they set me up to have the babies ejected. And then what is that process like? 
is really not a turkey baster, but it really is a turkey baster. <laughs> <laughs> so you go to the doctors and they tell you, okay, we're going to put the babies in today. So you lay on the bed, you drink a whole bunch of water, like to get yourself full, like you would when you have an ultrasound having a baby. So I drunk all my water and I'm laying on the bed and we're going to insert one egg is what they tell me. Like, we're going to put your eggs in today. So you're ready. I'm like, yeah, I'm ready. We're laying on the bed. And my sister says, I thought you were defrosting two eggs. I wanted to put two just in case one doesn't take so she doesn't have to do this again. Yeah. I'm like, okay. But he said, well, what if they do take? I'm like, wait, what? If they do take, that means we're having twins? Okay, fine. Whatever you want to do because I'm only doing this one time. So let's just make sure it's right. <laughs> yeah. So they hurry up and defrost two eggs. I mean, the second egg because one was already defrosted. So they hurry up and defrost the second egg. So now we're waiting. So now I cannot pee. I'm sitting there with a full bladder <laughs> and I'm waiting for them to defrost the second egg. So it takes like an hour. So I'm like, all right, whatever. I'm saying Panda Pop, fine. So they defrost the egg and they insert two in like a little syringe. Mm -hmm. Kind of like a turkey baster. I guess that's where they got that from. And they put them in and, you know, they're looking on the ultrasound and they put the eggs in. And then you lay there for like 20 or 30 minutes after. I finally get to use the bathroom, and then it's like you go home and you rest. Okay. And um, two days later, you go to the doctors, and they check, and they say, okay, everything's good. They're in place. Um, then you just start your OB visits. Well, at week four of the egg beating, you have to start these progesterone injections. It's called progesterone oil, which, oh, my goodness. That is, like, where I wanted to throw in the towel <laughs> because you're giving yourself this you're still injecting your stomach, like, you know, still giving yourself the needle there. But now you're also injecting your butt with something like cooking oil. Oh, my goodness. In a long, thick syringe every day. Wow. And it was really, really, that was traumatic. I'm not even going to lie. Yeah. Because if you don't inject right like you could hit a sciatic nerve you can do damage to your body so at first i'm like okay i'll have somebody give me the needle so i had my sister give me a needle i thought she was throwing a dart at me i was like okay never mind we're done with this you tried to kill me <laughs> <laughs> you just stuck this needle so hard like you not know what's going on here so that was it so after that i gave my own self the needle in my butt every day for eight weeks um so it was like, I think, one and a half mLs for eight weeks. And then once I got to week 12, then it was one mL. So I got to decrease. I started bleeding a little bit. I thought I lost one of the babies. But that's like normal. Once they start to grow, like you will have that. So that's like a good sign. But they don't tell you this, that it's a good sign. Oh, okay. So it was like a little bit of bleeding. But it all worked out. Um, and then once you're done, I'm, I was like almost 12 it was between 12 and 16 weeks that I got to stop the injection. So that was like awesome. It was a sigh of relief because that was really, really traumatic. Those progesterone. Injections. Yeah, I can imagine. That was like the worst part besides. Um, and then, yeah. Then you're pregnant and you just go to your visits and you, you know, continue your monthly, your weekly. It's like weekly, then twice a week, twice a month, and then. Um, I, when we got to twice a month, I was like, so 25, I don't know, 20 weeks, maybe. I don't know. Um, I had to still go to the high risk doctor because once you're of a certain age, you're considered, you know, geriatric. So yeah, which is crazy. Right. Um, so I'm 
going to the doctor, you know, ask the post, and they say that my blood pressure is high. But I'm like, I just left the other doctor. She didn't say anything. We had to go for, like, a heart check or something. So I'm like, wait, the other doctor didn't say my blood pressure was high. This doctor's like, well, your blood pressure was high. Come back in the next day. I'm like, okay. So I go back the next day. She's like, your blood pressure's still high. So we got to do another test. I'm like, what? Now you got to be missing all this work for these babies that I didn't never say I was going to miss all this work for because you're telling me my blood pressure's high. I've never had blood pressure issues. What is going on here? Yeah. So, um... Somehow, one of the babies wasn't getting enough blood, though, but by my blood pressure being high, which I didn't know. I wasn't swollen or anything. I had no symptoms, no headaches, no nothing. Blurred vision. Everything you're supposed to have, I didn't have. Um, so at 27 weeks, they diagnosed me with the HELP syndrome. Um, and I went into the hospital, like, on a Thursday. They told me I would be in here for about a month. And then they would, you know, hopefully deliver the babies. But they had to get my blood pressure down. So they gave me, like, a bunch of medications. And I had to lay in the bed and I couldn't move. And this was on Thursday. So, you know, everybody's coming to visit and stuff. So you're in the hospital at this point? At this point, I'm in the hospital. So from 27 weeks, I was in the hospital. Got it. Okay. Um, because my blood pressure was high, which that's the help syndrome. It's like um, when you're hot, your blood pressure is high, your potassium levels are doubling. So it's kind of like they have to, so they have to make a decision. Mm -hmm. So I didn't realize that my, you know, that all this was happening. I just knew like, okay, like they got it. They got me in here until, you know, my blood pressure comes down, but I'm just on bed rest. So I just can't, you know, leave. So I'm mentally preparing myself. My son's going away on this football camp and, I have, like, a life to live. Like, I take my kids to school every morning. I cannot sit in this hospital, so I think I was freaking myself out because I'm like, I can't stay here for a whole month. Like, what is going on here? I have to take care of my kids. Like, this is what I do. Yeah. And you're telling me I'm going to have to lay here for a whole month. So I'm like, oh, my gosh, how is this going to work? So I eventually calm myself down. And um, so Thursday to Sunday, I was in there. Sunday... Everybody leaves, you know, they're going home. And 11 o'clock, they came in and said, I'm sorry, ma'am, but we have to take these babies today. Wow. Like, today? Why today? Like, wait, what? Why today? I'm confused. So, okay. So I'm calling, like, you guys got to get back to the hospital because they're telling me they're taking these babies right now. But first of all, I never had a C-section. I pushed out three kids with no pain medicine. I cannot have a C-section. Like, this cannot happen to me right now. So I'm literally now really freaking out. Not only do I have to sit here, but now you're going to tell me I have to have a C-section. I have to get cut. I'm going crazy. Wow. So, yeah, I had the babies at like 11.27. They were delivered. Two girls. One was like one pound and the other one was like three pounds. Man. But they were healthy. And, yeah, I did pump for like two weeks but mm -hmm. because my blood pressure was like still not right which i still have blood pressure issues now yeah um it, they told me to stop because they said maybe like i was stressing myself out trying to pump for them right so then i just stopped so after i had them i went home like a week later because my blood pressure wasn't right they finally got me right i went home after a week and i was admitted back two days later for the same issue um the baby stayed in the hospital for like one, the bigger one, was in the hospital for a month almost, maybe three weeks, and the other one like a month and a half. But they both came home, and they're healthy, and they're two and a half now. 
Wow, man, you went through some serious stuff to get those babies here. Yes. So and they're terrible. <laughs> <laughs> while you were pregnant, was there a difference from when you were pregnant the natural way as opposed to you um, being inseminated with someone else's babies, like eggs? Did you feel different? After the injections, it was a normal pregnancy. Like, I felt normal after the injections. I didn't even look like I was carrying twins. Got it. Okay. So, once, you know, I got over that, it was a normal pregnancy, which nobody knew I was doing injections or I was carrying for somebody else. Like, it just wasn't, you know, people that knew, knew, but if you didn't know, I was just pregnant and you would have never known there were twins because I'm kind of small as it is. So, it just looked like I was just pregnant. Got it. Now, emotionally, like while you were pregnant, did was there a difference? Because the injections are kind of, I, are they giving you more of the hormones than you would have if you were naturally pregnant? Um, I guess I was evil, kind of, sort of. Like, so me and my fiance, we hated each other. Like, we hated each other. <laughs> Now, were you like that when you were pregnant previously? No. So, I, no, I don't think so. So, it may have been all the hormones. I was evil. Um, it, I'm thinking it was that. Yeah. Because once I delivered, like, and I came home, it was like, I don't know, that whole chapter was just over. Like, it was like, oh, wait, there's a whole different person now. Yeah. Um, emotionally, though, I was okay. I was okay, but, like, a couple times I had moments like, oh, maybe I want a baby. Maybe now, like, I want a, a baby. Now I don't. Um, but then, like, I quickly got over that, and I wanted to live my life. I went and got <laughs> my breast done and, yeah, started exercising a little bit. And, yeah, now I just want to show off my breast. <laughs> you are so crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just being honest. So mentally... Um... You know, you said at the beginning that you talked to the counselor and you told them, you know, I'm fine with it. When the babies come, she can have them and I'm about to go live my best life. Did you feel any kind of disconnect after that or were you still the same way where it was like, I know those are not my babies um, and that's it? Or was it like you felt like a new mom? No, I was disconnected. Okay. Was and that they're still my nieces, so it's a little different. But still, like still did you did you feel like you throughout the process you kinda were prepping yourself um that these are not your babies? As opposed no, to I, I don't I never really I don't think I really ever attached to them if that makes sense. Yes, yes. That's what I was meaning. Okay. So no, I never really attached to them because I knew what the outcome was going to be, but I could still see them. So, you know, like I would still be able to see them. Mm-hmm. Cause if I hadn't had this blood pressure issue, I wanted to do it again for a stranger. Got it. Okay. I did want to do it again for me. I'm not going to say a complete stranger, but someone maybe that I knew that, you know, I knew would take care of the child. Yeah. That was having trouble. So even with the injections, you didn't feel like it was that bad after those four weeks? No. I mean, it was bad, but I'm not, like, I knew 
because once I started it, I was like, I would do this again for a stranger. That's interesting. Uh, yeah. So would you, um, now that you've gone through the process, let's just say you and your fiance somewhere down the line decide to have a baby. Um, would you hire a surrogate? I probably would because I know I can't carry. Right. Um, but that's not happening because my kids know it's not happening. Uh (laughs) Hypothetically speaking, yes, I would. Okay. So, Al, what advice would you give to someone who is um, interested in becoming a surrogate? Because I don't know anyone personally who's been a surrogate besides you, but I do have, like, a Facebook friend that um, has been a surrogate for, like, strangers. And so it is, I guess it's a little bit different because they literally don't ever have anything to do with the baby. Once it's born, I don't even think that they get to see the baby. Um, but just from your experience, like what advice would you give to somebody who's interested in being a surrogate? This is something that you have to have a passion for. Like you have to, and you have to be able to put all your emotions to the side and not have attachment. So, like, I have a, I have a weak spot for parents who can't have kids. Yeah. So for me, it was okay because I'm giving back. Okay, that makes sense. Um, but you have to have that. If you're just like, oh, this is a paycheck, and you know, I'm going to make a whole bunch of money. It's going to be hard. Got it. For you to, you know, emotionally go through this. Yeah. Or you can, and also you have to have in your mind that you don't want kids or, yeah, like that you you don't want any more kids or you don't want kids right now. Now, what about someone, I mean, obviously you've had, you have kids and you had them before you became a surrogate. Would this be something that um, someone who's never had kids would you recommend it for them to be a surrogate? Or do you think that this is something for somebody who either um, doesn't want kids or um, already has kids? Right. Someone who doesn't want kids or already has kids. Okay. Because I know from like me, I mean, my daughter's a, a year old, so I'm just thinking back to all of what I went through, which the pregnancy wasn't bad, but the, my delivery was like you, like you were fine up right. until you weren't. Um, and so right. <clears throat> I don't think that I could do that for a stranger. Right. Cause I'm, that's just not where mentally or emotionally I am. So I, I definitely understand what you're saying that you have to be passionate about helping someone. Um, right. Because I don't. Because it's not, and it also makes you an angry pregnant person. If you're just doing it for a check. Right. So, like, your baby feels all of that, and, like, the babies know. Yeah. So, you don't want to be, you know, an angry pregnant person or, you know, having negative thoughts about the baby that's growing inside of you. That does make sense. Right. Now, did you kind of um, still do the 
things that you would have done if it was your own baby. So like talking to the baby, playing music, all I don't know, things that like <laughs> the stereotypical things that pregnant moms do. Were you doing any of that stuff or was your I mean, sister doing any of them. it? Like I did talk to them. Um, I never really played music, so I never did that before. Um, <laughs> but I did talk to them. I did make sure I ate better. Um, I still, you know, did normal things that you would do carrying a baby because ultimately you want a healthy baby. Right. You want a happy baby. So I did things that I, you know, had done that I would have did if it was my child. Yes, of course. And then how involved was your sister during the pregnancy? Um, like we went, she went to my doctor's visits. Like, you know, if I... If I asked her to go to the doctor's visits, like, she went to all of the, like, high-risk doctor visits and, like, ultrasounds. But, like, my regular visits, I would go alone because there's no point in really having her there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, you know, she bought my maternity clothes and my clothes, you know, for regular, my uh, work clothes that I needed because I needed bigger scrubs and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. Well, Shima, I think that that was amazing that you took those steps um, to help your sister out in that way. You're right. It definitely has to be something that you're passionate about um, to give yourself over physically and mentally and emotionally to somebody else to help them um, have a baby. And the fact that, you know, you ended up with a health complication towards the end of the pregnancy, um, and but still was able to deliver, you know, two healthy babies is definitely a blessing. Um, I know that your sister is so grateful, you know, that you made that sacrifice, um, to, to carry those babies, especially with it being two instead of one. Um, so, Hats off to you for, you know, handing over your body and your mind, really, um, to help your sister out. Thank you. Yeah, it was really an adventure. Um, I'm not going to say I would recommend it. However, I do applaud anyone going through, even IVF, because it's it's very similar in what I had to go through. So I really applaud those people that, you know, go through that to have their own kids. Yes, it definitely is a process. And I do know a few people who've had to do IVF and what you described of what you had to do is pretty much the same that um, they also had to do. So again, Shima, I do appreciate you coming on and talking to us about this. And I just want you to know that we're going to have another conversation about your plastic (laughs) surgery. Um, (laughs) Because, again, that is something that is over my head. I don't know anything about it. So um, maybe we'll do like a group conversation with some other people we know that have had plastic surgery and kind of talk about that process. Okay, I'm up for it. I love my breasts. <laughs> well, I, really I am so glad <laughs> that you are happy with your work. I'm sure that people are going to want to know who your doctor was because they look very natural. Um, so he did or she did a great job. Yes, 
Yes. All right. So until well, next thank time, you. thank I, you, thank Sheen. Thank you for wanting to interview me. This is exciting. Yeah. I wish you luck on your, it's a podcast, right? Yes, it's a podcast. Yeah, on your podcast. Because, you know, we, we watch it here in New Jersey and we laugh and we're like, this is our friend right here. Yes, my post so on I'm Instagram. <laughs> so, yep. And now you are one of the guests. So, I am grateful for you taking the time out of your night to sit and talk with me. And until we have our plastic surgery conversation, thank you again. You're welcome. Have a good night. All right, Sheen. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. And that's a wrap on another amazing episode. I know that you were just as inspired as I was after listening to that conversation and to let us know how we're doing don't forget to leave us a review like share and follow the podcast also follow us on all social media platforms at the black girl blogger as well as our website at the black girl blogger podcast.com and the most important step make sure you share the podcast with someone you know and tell them to share with someone they know. And if you know someone who has an amazing story to tell, or if you yourself would love to tell your story, leave us a message on our website or any of our social media platforms so we can reach out to you and have you on the podcast. Until next time, peace out.